Hello and welcome to The Point of Everything. My name is Owen O'Sullivan and today's guest on the show is Dave Kaus, the frontman of A House, who are going to be performing A House is Dead, I Am Still the Greatest, on Saturday night, June 29th at the National Concert Hall in Dublin. They're the second recipients of the NZH Imro Trailblazer Award following Micro Disney last year. You might remember Micro Disney there was uh, quite a bit of buzz about them last year. They played a couple of reunion shows. They played their last ever gig, supposedly, never say never, uh, in Cypress Avenue earlier this year to put a final bow on things. But that NCH gig was the impetus. And now it seems like it might be the impetus for A House or A House is Dead, whatever you want to call it. There's a brilliant long read on the Blackpool Sentinel, a uh, really, really great blog, kind of charting the 80s and 90s. Uh, Irish of Irish music both in Cork and in Dublin it's a really really great uh, site and yeah just a great piece called A House Local Housing Authority by uh, Colm O'Callaghan who uh, is really really great Um, he kind of talks about how important A House are I'll just read a little bit about um, what he says about them and Dave Cows in particular he says in his pomp Kaus was a restless and forceful writer who saw merit in the malevolent vignette, fronting a group whose considerable achievement was often taken for granted and who were never entirely a common currency. One aspect often fueled the other. A house, like many others before them and after them, were at their best when Kaus was at his most tart. They consistently demanded the final word and, with Kaus on the mic, it was often a bitter one. When the good times came, they were forever fleeting. They had five studio albums for three different labels and Kaus tells me that they knew that they were done when they were done. O'Callaghan on that blog again, he says that they played their last ever gig on February 28th, 1997 in the Olympia Theatre in Dublin. In another blog post on the Blackpool Sentinel called A House, We Are the Greatest, covering that last ever show, uh, O'Callaghan, it's, it's a piece from back in that time. He says that A House never really ran with the pack anyway, always preferring their own counsels and their own instincts, rightly or wrongly, and always staying truest to themselves. And he also says that A House, or like no other band this country has seen accepting arguably you two they've never divided their peer, their own peers so savagely and yet motivated their own support so clinically a house you see new that's all no undue social appearances no hanging around and no concessions so that's to give you an idea of the standing in which a house are still held by a lot of people in this country it's not the original members who are going to be performing at the nch this saturday it's dave cows and fergal uh, bunbury and a host of other friends who uh, dave talks about uh, towards the end of the interview and just on the um, nch site just talking about this gig and what you can expect they write that our house is dead of this you can be sure I heard it straight from the horse's mouth, R.I.P. But I am the greatest. That statement was forever. Everything has changed, but I am still the greatest. You are still the greatest. We have everything we need and we never look back. But let's just this once, for the sake of the 90s, late night ferries or whatever, re-engage, reinterpret and reimagine the time of our lives. Let's immerse our feet in this beautiful pool and show the world how it feels to be free. That is all over and over and out. So yeah, that's to give you a taster of uh, a house and what you can expect at the NCH on Saturday night. It sounds like it's going to be really uh, special. 
if you're going have a lot of fun enjoy kind of reliving the memories i am the greatest still holds up it's a really really good album so is their debut um there's plenty reading um out there on them and hopefully you enjoy uh this interview with uh dave from his landline in cavan you're at home at the moment i just kind of presumed you know a couple of days out from the uh reunion gig that you'd be like pretty much setting up camp in the national concert hall we are indeed we're doing that tomorrow yes we've been doing loads of rehearsals you know and uh it's not really the first and foremost we really should get together it's not actually a reunion as such you know it's um it's myself and fergal and myself and fergal the guitarist only two members of the original group are reimagining the album you know what, what yeah what happened was basically that gary from the um, national concert hall and from the trailblazer award phoned me last year that following the success of the Micro Disney Award, that, uh, he, that, that they would like to offer the award this year to I Am The Greatest. And he said all he needs is basically someone to do the show. So I, I rang Fergal, who is the guitarist in the band, and I said, Fergal, would you be interested? And normally Fergal says no to everything. You know, he's Mr. Mr. No, you know. And I was expecting the same result. And then, no, he was actually quite up for it. So um, we decided then that we would go for it, like just the two of us, and that we'd get extra musicians and that we would reinterpret the album for 2019. Had you and Fergal been friends all through the years? Like, you'd talk regularly anyway? Or was this, like, oh, were you, like, yeah, gearing yeah, yourself? Right, since we were four years of age, like, we're more like brothers than friends. And we were, in, like, we were in a house, you know, all those years, way back in the day. So there's the two of us, you know what I mean? So... It'll sound like a house. It's, and we're basically, um, I'd say three quarters of the album is as it is, but the other quarter we've taken, you know, this longer after the event, there's some songs that you would like to improve upon. You know, everyone does. I'm sure everyone who creates anything looks back at it and goes, well, I could have tweaked it here and I could have tweaked it there, you know. And now is our opportunity to do that. So it's fantastic. And that's what's been really interesting about this project, to be honest, is taking those few songs, finding the weaknesses that were there that you'd missed at the time, or that maybe, you know, it's, 20, it's nearly 30 years later, that if they could do a more modern twist. And um, we've done it, so it's great. We're really delighted with the album now. Yeah, if we were going to record the album, the same songs, if we were going to record them today, you know, this is, this is the album that we would present. And so is the, is the live show actually going to be recorded? Like, have you actually talked about, oh, maybe we should actually release this as, like, the final no, definitive? No, we actually discussed that only yesterday, I and mean, it was offered, but we are existentialists, essentially, and we believe <laughs> in the here and the now, and uh, that all of the work that's gone into this, the hundreds and hundreds of hours of rehearsals and, and, and meetings are just for this moment in time, and that's really important about artistic endeavour as well, you know, is that it is this... M- this fleeting thing that just happens you're there you're part of it and then it's gone you know and I love that because when a house broke up in, um, in February of 97 it's still one of the most talked about gigs in Ireland do you know what I mean and it's because it wasn't recorded and it was you know this, this moment that marked this musical note I suppose very small, in a small way but it did you know we didn't record it we didn't do anything with it we didn't re-release it nothing so it's over you were either there or you weren't and and so like when that call came last year from the national concert hall, did you actually take convincing? Were you like, oh, it's over, it's done, it's finished, it's no, it in the history books? Definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, I was initially, of course, I was very, very flattered. Who wouldn't be flattered? You know, I mean, especially following in the steps of Micro Disney, and then, you know, people go, we, we'd like to award I am the greatest the same award that we award the clock comes down the stairs. I mean, you know, who wouldn't be flattered by that? 
and it's a great thing, and I was, but I mean, I was nervous, I suppose, apprehensive, you know, to take on such a, such a big event, I suppose, you know, but then as I say, I mean, I was talked to Ferg and uh, convinced by him, really, and uh, we decided to do it. What was the conversation like? Was it, was it just simply like, we can't actually perform it exactly as it sounds, we have to... No, we can, we can perform it exactly as it sounds, we just won't, we can't perform it with the original members of the band. And, and so you were like, well, we have to do something new with it, modernize it, I suppose? Does it need modernizing? Not all of it. No, no, no. Only the bits that we felt um, could do with a bit of a spruce up, you know what I mean? The bits, the certain songs that we thought could be more modern, could be more, have a different take on them now. I mean, at the time, we thought, it was 30 years ago, we thought they were fantastic. We, we wouldn't have released them if we didn't. And I mean, maybe they still are. I don't know. But to me, we just thought maybe there's some songs that need a bit of a breath of fresh air, you know? <laughs> and we've done that to about, to about five of the songs on the album. So m- maybe before we go back 30 years, maybe just talk me through, like, how the process actually, like, works for a kind of show like this. I mean, did, could you even remember the lyrics to all of the songs no, on no, no, I Am I'm The Greatest? Them. No, I'm like, did you, did you have to listen back to, to the album? Were you like, oh, what, what were we doing? What's the name of that track? What's going on here? Yeah, an awful lot of that, seriously. And, but then again, some of it was real muscle memory. It was really strange because, you know, we played those songs hundreds, maybe possibly thousands of times on tour, you know, up and down the length and breadth of England. You know, we toured a lot, you know. And I swear to God, you'd be amazed. Some of the lyrics are just in my head. They're there and I can't, you know what I mean? And I just, I just turn it on and they just blurt out. There's a lot of lyrics that, you know, in, in, in the same way that, like, Bob Dylan has lots of lyrics in so far that he just, you know, I, a lot of the songs are list songs, you know, so there's a lot of lyrics to get through, you know. As, as they go on, they just list this, you know, like, I don't care, you know, I don't care what the critics say, you know, all that kind of stuff. And then there's just a list of about a hundred things that I don't care about. And they're just in there, you know what I mean? And once you just open it up, it just all come flying out, like, so, which is great. <laughs> Thank God. Do you cringe at some of the, some of them? Are you like, oh, no, these don't I'm hold not, up at all? I'm actually really lyrics. Yeah. It's amazing. Thirty years later, you know, I'm actually kind of going, no, there's nothing here. There's nothing here that I'm embarrassed with. I, I haven't changed one lyric, which is great. I mean, that's it's just refreshing to know to know that, like, you know, at least I haven't. We, musically, we changed them a lot, but lyrically, they haven't changed at all. That must be kind of really nice, just for you, like you, mu- you know, just kind of thinking, geez, we were definitely onto something back then. Yeah, 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 no, it's brilliant. I mean, I mean, as I say, I'm really honoured and flattered that to be asked. I wouldn't have, expe- have expected it, to be honest, and especially so early in the awards. You know, I mean, in, in its history, this is only the second award, so to receive the second award is fantastic. I mean, I really wouldn't have expected it. I mean, there's a lot of albums that would have gone, that would have gone before us. So, yeah, I am delighted. But there's one, there's one song, actually, End of Heart has been updated, updated completely. When you say changing the lyrics, yeah, there's a whole new set of lyrics to End of Heart. Because, you know, the, I mean, an awful lot of people have died since, 2000, since 1991. So, yeah, so I've updated that right up to today. And if someone important dies tomorrow, they're in. <laughs> is, is that one of those songs? I, I heard someone um, just talking. Uh, I, I was just asking some people uh, about you guys over the past um, week. Someone was saying that, like, you didn't love that song. Like, it was kind of almost a throwaway, was it? Or, or am I just... Well, uh, it, is... it was. I mean, it wasn't a proper song as such. I mean, it's not really a song. I mean, not in the... The definitive way most people would think that song is like a verse and a chorus with a lyric and an idea. I mean, it's basically just a list, again, a list of artists who, um, who were dead, but they're still alive through, through their art. And basically, that's all it was. So it was just this song. It was a backing track. And then I'll, well, I'll just tell you what, lads. I'll just call out all these names of these people that have died, made a contribution to the world of the arts. 
They're now dead, but they live on through their art. How about that? Okay, let's do that. <laughs> and, I, and, I'll, and then I'll, I'll start, I'll give the name when, when they were born, when they died. Um, and then we put Beethoven in the chorus. And then that's it. And it was just a daft idea, to be honest. And it was on the album. And we just thought, like, because it's such a ridiculous idea, why don't we stick it out as a single? And, um, and it just went from there. It just it took off way bigger than we could possibly expect, you know? Yeah, is, is that just kind of the music industry, like, in a nutshell? It's almost like a throwaway idea, and that turns into yeah, one of your biggest it songs. Is, it's like, to be honest, yeah. what, what do it's, we know? And it's what like, do we when know? you're the he who dares wins, I mean, we just did it because we just thought it would be fun, you know? I don't know if people do it like that anymore. I don't know. I mean, it was just a fun and stupid thing to do, but it just took off. I mean, it was the most played record on BBC Radio 1 for a, for a period of two weeks. Like they just couldn't stop playing it. They played nearly every hour. And it would have charted. It would have charted really high. Only we were, of course, we were so, <laughs> we were so together that we had no records in the shops. <laughs> well, well that's do? kind of one of the things that, like, just reading about our house over, over the past week or, week or so, um, like, do, do you kind of get annoyed when you're thinking about that? I mean, like, on the one hand, it's like, wow, we had such a great, like, 10 years or so, maybe just a little yeah. bit longer than 10 years. Yeah, but is there also yeah, that... Yes, yeah. It, is is there also that other thing that you hear about that frustration with the music industry and everything? Are you like, ah, oh, what if? Well, I mean, though? yeah. I mean, if? if you listen to the, if you listen to the song, I am the greatest itself. I mean, yeah, that goes on. I mean, that was in nineteen ninety one. That's how I felt in nineteen ninety one, and I still feel that way. You know, I mean, all the great ideas essentially, even but even in nineteen ninety one, I mean, endless arts came along, and it was just a different idea. You know, even then there was room to create something. You know, because I think a house drived to try and create a sound of their own, a unique thing, you know what I mean? And we did everything we possibly could to try and achieve that. You know, we, we, I spoke on records, we had all the crazy ideas. We, we did a lot, of, a lot of stuff, you know what I mean? That was different to what other people were doing because we really, really wanted to try and be different. And I think that was the last chance for any band, nearly, because it's so difficult, you know what I mean? Everything now is just derivative of something that's gone before. I mean, how can you create something new now with a, with a guitar, bass and drums? I mean, it's practically impossible. You know what I mean? No matter what you do, you send three or four guys into a room, right? And then you say, like, come up with something unique. They'll think they have, but you'll say, well, that's a bit like this, and it's a bit like that, won't you? You know what I mean? Because there's been so many records. You know, I mean, I, I think they, that, that formula is probably just exhausted. And then, of course, there was a massive, you know, the, the post-punk era then with the invention of the keyboards. Remember all that? Like, that was a different sound. So, therefore, there was a whole new wave of music that was born from keyboards and from technology, you know? They gave the guitar, bass, and drums a rest. And then the keyboards took over for about 10 years. And that was fantastic. And then they came back to the guitars and everything, of course, is cyclical. So, but now, I don't know. Who knows? I'm out of the game now for so long. I don't really know or care. I, I, I suppose let's let's go back to like Dublin in the mid 80s, early 90s. Were you two, your peers, like were they, they're the band who dominate the, the city. I mean, they still kind of dominate a lot of the discussion about Irish music. Were you, were you like fans or were you kicking against that type of sound? We were both. You'd be fans of them, but you'd kick against it too because you'd want to try and, you know, you want to try and pave your own furrow. You know, you wanted, you wanted people to think, well, that house, there's a very un- or unique and, and different sound coming from, from, from Dublin now. You know, there's a band that are very different to everybody else. That's your only hope in this life, in, in the world of the arts, isn't it? I mean, it's to be different to everybody else. I mean, it's the only chance you have. And no one's interested in somebody who's just like somebody else. So who cares? You know, I've heard that before, not interested. But yeah, we would respect them and admire them and be fans of theirs but, and use them, you know, as a template for, you know, what to do and what not to do. Did you have ambitions? Were you just like, ah, oh, this is just something that we're going to No, no, do? we wanted to 
take over the world, of course. I mean, I don't think anyone gets into a band without, without that goal, you know. I mean, we wanted to be huge. I mean, we, it was never to be. And I think the reason it never was is because we were so cantankerous. We really were. We were a very difficult band. You know, we wouldn't do anything. <laughs> we had this goal in mind. We wanted world domination. We knew how to get it, but we weren't interested in the way that you had to get it. We wanted to get it on our own terms. And we realized that we, on our own terms, we weren't going to get it. But I think that that was more important than selling your soul to the record industry. You know, because that's the only way you're going to get it. What do you mean by that? You have to cross over. You have to cross. I mean, you know, you, you can be really lucky to like, be like the, the, the Lou Reeves and the Velvet Underground of the world and create masterpieces like that and tell the world to go and fuck itself. And your music will cross over anyway, you know. And well, not, not that they sold many records, but it lasted length, you know, the, the, the test of time, you know. Or you just have to go out and just, you know, play the game and do the interviews and blah, blah, blah. You know, just do the formula. You know what I mean? Change your music to be more radio friendly. You know, uh, you know give up on your ideals and just play the game, you know. Work the room, all that shit. I'm just we weren't interested in doing that, like, you know. Is there any moment that kind of stands out as, like, he... Not trying, but like when you did kind of sell out a little bit or anything like that, or can you can you say definitively like we never compromised, we never sold no, we out, did. we never we tried. We tried once. <laughs> we tried. We, we, here come the good times. We kind of tried with that, like you know, because at one stage we said we were so you know the, the record companies were constantly at us. You know what I mean? You know, it's just you know all you need is that one big radio hit, all you just to cross over into a new audience. Bloody bad. We were all like that's bollocks. You know, you know who needs a new audience? Who cares? And, and they were going, well, you do, you know, because otherwise you'd be dropped, <laughs> which we were. But, I mean, it's, yeah, we did. I mean, we had the song, Here Come to Good Terms. We went for it. We said, look, let's just give it a shot. Like, and it didn't work. And we were right. And then we never did again. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. Up to that point, we didn't. We, we, just, we just held our ground and said, no, we're just going to make the records we want and hope that enough people like it, you know? Yeah. And... Like when um, I Am The Greatest came out, did you feel at the time, this is actually the best thing that we've done? It's probably the best thing that we're going to do. Like people will be talking no, about this never, album. No, you never feel that, no. You just feel, I mean, we'd, 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 we'd made Big Cut Merry Go Round and we'd made I Want Too Much. We were immensely proud of I Want Too Much. And that was, it. That was just two fingers to the record industry, that record. You know what I mean? Because we knew that we were going to get dropped. I mean, that record was just commercial suicide, but we still made it. And against the record company's wishes. In fact, we went over to an island off the west coast of Ireland so that they wouldn't interrupt us to make the album. And, of course, we were correct. We did get dropped as a result of that. Then we went off to make I Am The Greatest. And I Am The Greatest was released in 1991, the same year that Octung Baby was released and the same year that My Bloody Valentine's Loveless was released. And that was a big year for Irish music. And our little album, our I Am The Greatest, cost 10 grand to make. And Keith Cullen from Tanta Records borrowed that money from his parents in order for us to get that record made. Because he loved I Want Too Much, our second album. And we signed it to Tanta then. And he borrowed the money from his parents. And if you consider, like, that Loveless cost, whatever, it nearly broke Creation Records, didn't it? I mean, it cost hundreds of thousands. And I've no doubt in my mind that U2's Octum Baby cost the same. And there was our little record costing, like, you know, what they would have spent on tea bags. And it's today still standing up, you know, and it's still there. God love it for its, its defiance and its spirit. So, you know, at the time, did we think it was the best thing? No. You're just a band. You're just making music. What's your best? It's just your latest. 
And, and like the Dublin music scene around then, around like the turn of the 80s and the 90s, um, did it feel like an exciting time to be a band? It was. I mean, seriously, in the mid-70s, mid-70s, Jesus, <laughs> I'm not that old. In the mid-80s, there was a great sense of um, just a musical explosion in Dublin. You know, in, in places like the Bagot Inn and in the underground, there were just bands every single night of the week. Like, you'd be lucky if you were a band and you were rehearsing in a little rehearsal room. And you wanted to get a gig, like you'd be lucky to get a gig on a Monday or Tuesday night in the underground. That's how busy it was. And basically, you got your gig and you brought all your mates. You only had to have about 30 or 40 people there. So, you know, your friends would be enough of a crowd. And it started from there. You know what I mean? You might get a, get a few stragglers and <laughs> a few other people. You know, you might get a good review in the paper and the press or whatever. And, and then you might get some more people. And then before you know it, you fill it. There's 100 people and you're on a Thursday night. Are you with me? And then you're on the weekend and the place is jammed. And that's you just, everyone started like that. There were so many bands, hundreds of them, and a great scene. It really was a thriving scene. Like I'm probably putting you on the spot there, but like, are there other bands who, like, you know, you can point to and like they should have been bigger, they should have been be- bigger, they like got screwed or something by the record industry? Are there so many bands that you look at and you're just like, ah, oh, what could have been? Um, that's no, I don't know to be honest. I don't know. I think everyone reaches where they, on some level, deserve to get. You know what I mean? I mean, we were never world famous, but I don't think we deserved to be there because of our nature. Not because of the music, but because of what we did. Because of, I said, you know, because of our awkwardness and our belief in ourselves and our music and our, you know, our defiance against the world and the music industry at large. You know, and that's where, and we did. To us, we were successful. You know, we made great music, people like it. And now look, we were right. We were right to be defiant. We were right not to cross over, not to sell our souls. Because now, like 30 years later, we, like someone phones you up to say that a record you made 30 years ago is, you know, is an, is an album of, of artistic merit and we believe has gone underlooked to some degree and we'd like to celebrate it now. I mean, that's great. That's a fantastic phone call to get when you're a man who's 55 years of age. I've given up on the music business 20 years ago. Do you know what I mean? It's like, you know, it's a wonderful thing to get that you've created something that has lasted that length of time and is still worthy of such a great um, accolade at award. Talking about an underlooked album, I mean, I'm from Cork, so I always hear about Sultans of Ping and Frank and Walters. They're kind of like around that time, the start of the 90s. Yeah. I did an awful lot of work with the Frank and Walters. I did their four CPs. Yeah, I did their four CPs. I did uh, Walters Trip. I did that like. And I did Grand Parade. I produced a Grand Parade for them as well. Yeah, and I was reading um, Colm O'Callaghan on the um, brilliant Blackpool Sentinel. He's got oh, some... Oh, brilliant, that, yeah. Yeah, he's got some great reads about um, really Athens as well. Yeah, great man, Colm. Uh, Colm goes way back. Colm was part of Satanta as well. He worked there. You know, he worked with Keith in, in London, in Camberwell. I remember it all well. And he was a great man. He was there for the right reasons. I mean, everyone was there for the right reasons in those days. We all slept on fucking lilos and, you know, crappy bed sits. You know, just to try and get our records made. There was no luxury in those days. Well, not for bands like us, there wasn't. You know, <laughs> obviously for bigger bands, signed to bigger record contracts, there was, but not for the likes of us. Um, I I always kind of hear about I don't know. It's probably from Cork people that I hear this about kind of like a Cork Dublin divide. You know, like oh, the Dublin bands are up there doing. Oh yeah, um, yeah. Doing their I'm thing. Not really, like, I mean. I think that's just hearsay, to be honest. I don't think there's anything in it. Like, I mean, if you look at myself and the Franks, now we would always have such crack flagging, you know what I mean? They'd flag me, they're using a Dublin producer, you know what I mean? And <laughs> I'm working with a Cork band, and, and we got on famously, like, really well. Like, you, know, I, you know, I did a renewed interest in happiness as well, actually. I came back to that album for them. 
and I get off so well with the Franks. I love those; they're the great fellows altogether. Yeah, so so there's no rivalry, no no stoking of the fires no, that I can no, do no, or no, anything like band. that. No? I remember, I remember hearing the demo first. I remember yeah, Keith from Satanta sent me on their demo of Walter's trip, and I remember hearing it, just thinking, "Holy fuck, this is brilliant! I love this stuff." There was such energy and such vitality. You know what I mean? And Paul is such a wonderful singer. Like you know what I mean? And he sings, and and it, like his life depends on it. Like, and I remember the demos for that EP were just outstanding, and I couldn't wait to get working with them. You know. That's great. Um, I, I I guess maybe we'll just kind of talk a little bit about why our house broke up. I mean, 1997 was was that your final definitive like last ever gig? You haven't played Absolutely. a show. Yeah, well, we since decided then. to break up. Yeah, every band should. I think, really, I suppose. I mean, you really. We just felt it was right. It was the right time to go. We'd done what we'd come to do. What was album six going to be? You know, I mean, how could we possibly invent album number six? There literally wasn't enough people out there to sustain us. There wasn't. We didn't have enough fans. You know, there, it's, it's like there was no money. Like, everyone had run out of money, and you know, we were of an age. We were just in our early 30s, you know what I mean? So life in your early 30s, and if you're still in a band that's not going anywhere, you've, somewhere along the line, you've just got to say, look, this is it. Forget it, lads. <laughs> there is no album number six. We have a wonderful body of work. No, five albums. Let's leave it at that. And uh, it was sad. I mean, it was sad to realise all these facts, but you, know, you just do it and get on with it, you know. I mean, just thinking about bands nowadays, like a lot of bands that I really like barely even get to their third album, let alone their fifth or sixth album. Exactly, yeah, no, no, exactly, yeah. I mean, it was an achievement, a huge achievement to make five albums. And, I, and our fifth album, some people regard our fifth album as our best album. You know, there are a lot of people who, who think that No More Apologies would be our best album. And we made that with Mike Hedges, we went to France, you know, I mean, we, we had a definite idea. It was much more low-key, it was much more acoustic, it was, you know, a lot of the aggression was taken out of the band, like, deliberately, you know, and, and we focused more on melody and that kind of stuff. So, you know, every album has to have an idea, you have to reinvent yourself every single time, you know. You can't just go on and make another album that you just made, there's no point in that, like, you know, so it has to be a different sound, a different idea behind it. The idea of, like, I don't know if, like, being out of ideas was what you felt when you broke up the band, but was it also just, like, the complete frustration that you'd had of being dropped by, like, three three record labels or ending relationships with three record labels? Was Look, it just the sense of... I think everyone knows when a relationship is over. And I think everyone knows, well, they should know. You know when something is finished. You know when the greatness has gone out of it. And that you would, I suppose, essentially be flogging a dead horse at that stage. And that's not for the want of ideas, no, because I went on to make a solo album, Jeans. And that's a great record, he said, speaking of himself. And musicians are such arrogant people, aren't they? It's such a great record. <laughs> no, no comment. I made, I made that with Edwin Collins, you know, as a solo album. It was a really difficult thing for me to do. I mean, been out of a band and all that. But, I mean, if you look back at it, well, look, I mean, you know, people say, I can't say, you know. It did turn up on the 100 best albums, Irish albums. That was my first solo album. But it wasn't that we were out of ideas. It's just the band had run its course. You know, I mean, when you get to your 30... 30, 31, 32, <clears throat> we no longer really knew each other as people. The only thing that was holding us together was, in fact, the band. You know, I mean, people grow away from each other all the time. You can be best mates with somebody in university, right, and then never, never talk to them again, you know, from 24 on, you know. And the only thing that would held us together as a unit was, in fact, the fact that we were in the same band. But the people within the band had grown apart from each other also. You know, so it was definitely time. It was over on every single level. And I think it's good. It's good to end 
you know, knowing that it's over. You know what I mean? Like, this is it. We've created our body of work. Now it's time to let go. And and so, like, from that final gig in 1997 up to 2019 and the gig you're playing in the NZH this weekend, I mean, did you ever think about it before? Did you ever talk about, like, getting back together at all we in the past 22 years? We were so many times, yeah. You really? You phone calls all the time. Where people say, oh, yeah, would you do a reunion tour and all that? Not going to happen. Not interested. You know, it's not even... Like, Ferg, Ferg is a massive Pixies fan, and he was so let down when they reformed to come back and tour again, you know. <laughs> it's just, I remember him being so upset, like, that his heroes, his idols should reform after breaking up, you know what I mean? If you break up, break up, but fucking leave it at that, like, you know what I mean? And, and what about you? Have you seen some of these bands who have reformed, bands who you would have been a fan of back in the day, like I haven't really, no, but I have no interest in reforming and playing in a field. I don't. I mean, my music's too important to me for that, like, you know what I mean? I mean, okay, it wasn't huge, it didn't sell, you know, millions of copies, but it's important, and it's important to me. And um, I'm not reforming, especially with people I don't even know or like, to stand in the middle of a field with no light show. A bunch of old guys just standing there, trading on something that they did 20 or 30 years prior, like, you know what I mean? Just for the sake of a few bob. No, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that. Under any circumstances. You're, you're no. not a fan of the whole festival circuit, so... No, I'm not. I wouldn't be, no. No, definitely not. I've seen bands, and I've seen some of my favourite bands, and it's just standing on grass is not where you're supposed to be. <laughs> it's just my, it's just something I believe in or I feel, if you know what I mean. I just don't, I just don't get it. I don't feel it. You may as well be watching the guys who fucking put, you may as well be watching the riggers standing there by guitars. You with me? I mean, it's like, it may just be building the stage. It's because there's no light, there's no atmosphere, there's no vibe, there's no nothing. I saw Iggy Pop in the, like Iggy Pop, right? A man who changed the world. I saw him in daylight standing on grass. And even he struggled really hard to be brilliant. Even though I could see him doing his utmost to try and impress people. And he, of course, he's Iggy Pop, so he was great. But I mean, can you just imagine how great he would have been if it was indoors with a roof? I, I, I won't keep you too much um, longer. But I did just want to ask you about, you toured the UK an awful lot. I mean, you had a lot of fans over there. I mean, were, were you kind of... I mean, how does it compare to Ireland? Like, I don't know if you were ahead of your time, like just like a little bit, a couple of years before Britpop really hit. But I mean, some of the songs that I've been listening to recently, it's just like, ah, it's, it, you know, that sounds like, you know, an Oasis song or that sounds like a ride song or something like that. I mean, was the reception over there great? Did you really enjoy touring the UK or was there? Yeah, is... of course we did. Yeah, it was fantastic. We loved it. We spent most of our time in the UK, you know, so... I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if there's anything in it. I mean, I whether it's just me or it's my it's a theory. I, I, mean, I think had we been an English band, possibly we would have got a bit bigger and more received over there. England are hugely proud of their own bands, you know, and they, they, they promote them very well, you know what I mean? And they get behind them. And I don't know. I don't know. I mean, we should have been more successful over there, I think, possibly. There were bands that we felt at the time that were, you know, I suppose, getting a lot of attention. But I mean... Were we ahead of our time? I don't know. I don't think so. I mean, we went on tour. Like, Blur supported us once. Oh, really? Yeah, and Radiohead supported us. Supergrass supported us. A lot of bands supported us, and they went on to become fucking superstars, and we then, you know, went on to do nothing. <laughs> that was the old joke. That was the old joke. If we, su- we supported them, we supported the House of Love. They broke up. And we, so the bands that, we, bands that we tended to support, we killed them, and then bands that supported us went on to greatness. That was, that was the running joke at the time. 
I always find it interesting hearing about these kind of like uh, not anomalies, but like interesting little bits like Blur and Radiohead supporting you. I mean, when you're watching them on support, if you were even watching them, if you could, if you were just like in the back having a couple of cans before your own show. Yeah, I know. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I remember. I don't remember Creep. I remember. I remember. Well, <laughs> I remember. The, and you're, you're exactly right. We would be in the back room having a few cans. They even supported us in their hometown. Imagine Oxford. Like a couple of times. Radiohead came down to support us in Oxford. I mean, hello. Not many people can say that. <laughs> and, and I remember Creep. I remember hearing that song. And I'm thinking, geez, that's a pretty, that's a pretty handy tune to have there, lads. <laughs> and of course, it went on to become the anthem that it is. And because it's great. It stuck out on their set even. I remember at the time thinking, fuck, that's brilliant. Yeah. Blur, as well. I remember them as well. Damon Albarn was just was insane. I remember he was... He had so much energy. Do you know what I mean? He was like, come on up. You'd be that few years younger than us. And I remember, and he was so fresh, and obviously they, they were only starting out in their career, but you know what I mean? Again, Blur had this magic energy. And you could see it. You could see the potential in the band. And again, with Supergrass, you know, it's well, the same thing. Great, it was a great time, actually. It was, great, it was a great time to be in music, you know. It was a great time to be on the road, on the M6. We lived on the M6. Did it feel like something was just about to blow up in England at that time? Um, no, again, you see, you don't think it's because it's such a kind of a buzzy scene anyway. You know, there's, lots, there's so many great bands out there, and you didn't realize, how are we to know that Blur were going to become Blur? You know, you don't know. Or that Radiohead are going to become Radiohead. <laughs> Again, you still don't know. They were on the same record company as us. And then, you know, that's why they, got, that's why they were our support band. And finally, I suppose, maybe just before we get back to our house, like, I would have known you a lot from your radio show on uh, Today FM over the past oh, yeah. couple of years. You're, you're, you're not doing that anymore, no? Are you doing any radio? No, I'm not. No, I'm not doing any more radio. No, I just, I just got phased out, I suppose. I mean, I loved doing the radio, but everything changes, and before I knew it, I was just kind of gone. <laughs> it, wasn't, it wasn't any decision I made. And I loved doing it. I loved sharing um, music with people. It was such a great thing to do. It was like being in a band, you know, and I tried to present my show like that, you know what I mean? Isn't this Debbie? Like, check this out, you know what I mean? You used to make cassettes. For, for your friends. You yeah. used to get the old C90 out and make, make, make a cassette tape of all your favourite songs and then play them for your friends and give them to your friends. But I tried to do that. I tried to do, just be really excited about music because there are so many people out there that love music. So many music fans. My God, I mean, and I knew that from the radio show. I mean, we, you know, they'd always be on every week. We'd talk to each other like, and all that kind of stuff. So it was great. But again, alas, poor Yorick. <laughs> it has to go. Like, do, do you miss it, or are you just kind of, like you said kind of earlier, all the great ideas are taken? Like, I mean, are you still listening to new music, or do you feel like I wouldn't be able to do it justice myself on the radio, listening to these new bands and trying to pick up new music? Um, everything reaches a point. I mean, not only new bands, they sound great, the production is great, you know what I mean? And, and the ideas, are, again, they are great, and they sound great, and the singer is great, and the, you know what I mean? And the guitarist may have some great ideas, and, but it is all to some degree, derivative. You, know, you, you can always see their influences. And there's no harm in that. Like it's, yeah, every man has influences, but it's just how loudly you wear your influences, I suppose, is, is the line that not a lot of people don't. They cross, you know. They shouldn't. But I do this playing the music. Yeah, of course you do. Sure. It's a wonderful thing. It was the best job in the world. Sharing music with, with music fans. I mean, Jesus, I, I can't actually think of a better job than that for me. Well, I mean, I suppose your job this week is pretty good as well, isn't it? No, it is. <laughs> I'm really, really nervous. I mean, just, as you can probably tell, I'm, and it's only Tuesday. <laughs> Imagine what I'll be like on Saturday. 
I'm really nervous, yeah, but I'm also really excited, you know, as well, because it should be a great thing, you know. A House is Dead is the name of the band. <laughs> and who, who so is going to be in the band? Um, there's Johnny, yeah, we, we, we just, Johnny, Johnny Boyle is the drummer, and he, um, he is, Virgo's daughter is learning drums, and he is her teacher. <laughs> this is where it all started from. Well, Johnny, do you fancy, uh, you know, joining a band called A House is Dead? Present, I am the greatest international concert hall. Yeah, okay, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. He knew a bass player. The bass player knew the keyboard player. Simple as that. And we got into a room, we rehearsed, and there was a vitality, and there was an energy, and there was, you know, and a sense of excitement. And, um, and a sense of, I suppose, exploration too, you know, that the band were allowed to play with the songs. It wasn't just play what's there, you know what I mean? Add your own bit to it as well, like, and um, we'll see what happens. And it's it's good. I mean, for anyone going to the gig, it's it's hopefully, hopefully, you know, you never like to hex these things, but hopefully there'll be plenty of surprises for them. And as I said, it'll just be a one-off. It'll be there. It'll be gone. You either were there or you weren't. And uh, hopefully, it will deliver. Um, like, am I definitely holding you to that? Like, definitely, one hundred percent, one and done. It's over after Saturday. Um, no, 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 this, no, this gig is, you know what I mean, this gig, we're not recording this gig. No, we may go on to, to play uh, another show, we may, we don't know, we're, oh, we're leaving okay. things open, I don't know, we're leaving things open on that front, oh, but this show, right. the award ceremony, you know what I mean, that's finished, and now we're not recording it, and we're not going to make any more of it, you know what I mean, but whether we go on to, um, to do more shows, that's, we, we, we depend, we, we're seven fair, we're going to wait and see if we enjoy this, and if it does something for us. If so, we may do it again somewhere else, definitely. Ah, well, I mean, Cork is calling. Cork is calling. Yeah, well, you know, I'd love to go to Cork. I would. Like Michael Disney, following their steps. Mind you, they went there, they're from there. I suppose that was a big event and all that, like, you know. Yeah. Um, listen, we'll leave, we'll leave it there, Dave. It was um, a pleasure talking to you and best of luck with the gig on Saturday night. Congratulations again. Much deserved. And I hope all it right, all goes swimmingly. Yeah, thanks, thanks for talking to me. Thanks for giving me a call and for caring. <laughs>